Let's pray. <laughs> I should have said it before, my name is Andrew, and a huge welcome to anyone who's new or visiting with us. Um, actually, please receive a gift. If you don't have a Bible or don't have a copy of Luke's Gospel, there's a gift on the table outside. Please, please don't leave today without taking a, a gift of Luke's Gospel, and uh, please, uh, please take that and keep it. I'll let us in prayer. Father God, thank you so much for your word and we pray that you would speak to us and that your word would be a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. Father, we pray that, um, that you would guide us and that you'd help us uh, learn what it is to follow you and pray this in Christ's beautiful and wonderful name. Amen. Well, be prepared. Jesus prepares his people for the future. He, he prepares his people for the future. Um, you should be prepared for anything. I wasn't prepared for a bird. <laughs> <laughs> but be prepared. Um, many people do. Who here has done a first aid course? Let's go show of hands. If someone told me I've done a first aid course, that's marvelous. There's a bunch of people have done a first aid course, and I'd encourage you to do that. Why do we do first aid courses? To be prepared, just in case um, when a when a panic time comes, you know what to do. You know, you know the ABCs, or is it the doctor ABCs, or whatever the acronyms stand for? I need to do a refresher, by the way. Um, be prepared. Um, when you're moving house, you have to be prepared, don't you? Hopefully, well, when you're moving house, you sort of plan where everything is going, you get the boxes, you walk through the move probably every night for the whole week beforehand, you have all the timing worked out. You be prepared for that because you want it to work really well on the day. Um, when, when the COVID restrictions lift, we're going to do something really exciting sometime as a church, we're going to do an evacuation drill. Yes! Why? Because it's about being prepared, just knowing what to do in case, you know, chances are there won't be any need for it, but just to do it so that we know where do we go um, in case of an emergency. Um, if you have a wedding, I did a wedding yesterday morning, and weddings you often have a, a, a preparation, you have a rehearsal for, for the wedding day itself so that you know where he stands, she stands, what you do, so that on the day... It goes off without a hitch. Uh, see what I did there? <laughs> Be prepared. It's not a business strategy. Sorry, it's not just a business strategy and a, and a way, way of dealing with risk. It is a business strategy and it's a way of dealing with risk, but it's also a way of being true to God. So be prepared. And it's on the heart of Jesus with his disciples. Next week, we're actually going to see Jesus speaking to his disciples and preparing them for his death and resurrection. Next week, it's going to be wonderful. We gather together and we're going to be sharing the Lord's Supper and Stephen's going to be teaching us what Jesus said about the Lord's Supper. And uh, Jesus taught them about his own death. But today we're actually, Jesus prepares his people for what happens after Jesus dies and rises. And the good news is preached to all nations. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins is preached in Christ's names. And he tells them, watch out, don't be frightened. These things will happen but the end, before the end comes. He calls them to be prepared. Well, the key thing that Jesus prepares his disciples for is stones thrown down. I mean, this is maybe not in our head, but some of his disciples, verse 5, were remarking how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. Um, I was reading, I, I listen to audiobooks, and it's kind of, um, uh, I've been reading one called Jerusalem, the biography. Um, I've got the physical book here, but I've actually been listening to the audiobook version of it. And uh, it's been really interesting. This is not a Christian book at all, but it's just the history of Jerusalem. But let me just read a little bit of historian's perspective of what the Temple of Jerusalem was like at the time of Jesus. 
And the temple was built by King Herod, okay, who was, I found out, the second richest man in the Mediterranean at the time, behind Augustus Caesar. And uh, the, the temple was a lavish thing. The, you know, huge money was spent on it. And it says this, the design, and it took 80 years to build. In fact, it was still being built by the time it was destroyed in 70 AD. <laughs> the design of the temple, supervised by the king and his anonymous architects, um, he had some of them killed, showed a brilliant understanding of space and theatre, dazzling and awe-inspiring. Herod's temple was covered, this is a quote from a historian, uh, ancient source, covered all over with plates of gold, and at the first rising of the sun reflected back a fiery splendour, so bright that the visitors had to look away. Arriving in Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, it reared up like a mountain covered with snow. This was the temple Jesus knew, and that Titus uh, later on destroyed. From, from history, we, we learn that the, the temple was covered with so much gold that it shone brilliantly, and it was seen as an amazing thing. It was the most physical reminder that the people had that their God was their God. It was, it was Jerusalem, they described it was like the belly button of the world, the navel of the world, the center of the world. Heaven and earth meet, met there. They thought the promises of God there. They finally had a, a builder of the temple who was going to be amazing. And the disciples are there saying to Jesus, look at these stones. Look, look how it's all beautiful, this temple. And Jesus said, it's interesting, it just happens just after he talked to the widow about the widow's offering for the temple. And Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen and what will be the sign they're about to take place? This is the key thing Jesus prepares his disciples for, is stones throw, thrown down. And that would have been a shock to them that this would happen. For, for us, I don't know if you have a great sense of space, but um, you sometimes realize how important a space is when you're out of it, if you've maybe you've lived in a house and then something happens and the house is burnt down, then there's a there's a sense of loss for them. These preparing them, there's a sense of massive loss, and even bigger things are going to happen. Well, there are tricky things to understand for us and for them. For us, when we read this passage. Hang on, what's he talking about? What's he talking about? The, the temple being destroyed, the signs in heaven and earth, the nations rising up against nations. Who, what's this? Hang on, when's this happening? But it would have been a, a tricky for them as well. In fact, probably even harder for them to understand. What are you saying, Jesus? The temple of God will be destroyed? The city of Jerusalem will be no more? Well, it'll, it'll be uh, sieged? And hang on, when? When will this happen, Jesus? Uh, maybe the key verse to understanding this, or the, the, maybe the trickiest verse, look at verse 32. Uh, look at verse 32 with me. Jesus says, near the end, Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And, and there's a lot of views what this means. So it could mean that this generation, the word generation can sometimes mean race. So it could mean... That Jesus is saying, this race of people, the Jewish people, won't pass away until all this happens. I think more likely to mean, it's this generation won't pass away until the temple's destroyed. Until Jerusalem's besieged. Uh, it could also mean, and some take it to mean, this generation 
because Jesus is also going to talk about the very end times, before the judgment day, and it could mean that the generation that comes, when the final judgment comes, all the things just before the final judgment, before God, Jesus comes back, will be within one generation. Could mean that. I, I tend to think it's um, most probably um, he, him directly answering the question, when will these things happen? When will these stones be knocked off? When will this prediction happen? And I think he's saying, it's going to happen within a generation, and it did. AD 33, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. AD 70, whole thing's gone. The end, but he's trying to tell his disciples that the end of Jerusalem is not the end of the world. Well, what he says in the, in the meantime is actually even clearer than that. So let's look at verses 8 and 10. Jesus prepares his disciples for uncertain times. Verses 8 to 11, watch and pray, don't be afraid. He, he, re, he replied to them, watch out that you're not deceived. Many will come in my name claiming I am he. The time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. He's saying, don't be deceived by false teachers. And don't be tricked and unsettled by wars and uprising. He's saying, new, new teachings will come, but stick to the original. New events will happen. Don't let it unsettle you. I see an immediate application for his disciples who are there, in that if, if bad things happen to to. Jerusalem, don't be caught up with the hysteria of those saying, we've got the final battle against the Romans and we're going to lead you through, which there were Messianic people who said, we're going to beat the Romans. And don't get worried by these wars and uprisings. Don't be frightened by them. They've got to happen first before the end. And he, but he broadens it out in verse 10. He says, nation will rise against nation, kingdoms against kingdom. It's not just going to be happening here. There'll be earthquakes and famines and pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. There'll be so many things that will come through that will terrify. Um, I don't know who, who he has been through an earthquake. Of um, well, the only one, I mean, there's a few in America, there's a few people, yeah. Um, the only one I remember is the Newcastle one, that was quite a few years ago. And even being a long way, it was a little bit terrifying, you know, just what's going on. I hadn't experienced that before. Um, but if you've been in natural disasters, sometimes you've been in you know, intense hailstorms where every window around you is smashed or you know, it sounds like the sky's cracking in two or maybe you've been in a dust storm that's been terrifying. They are actually scary things. It is a terrifying thing to be through those and some people probably have got stories of, of, of even more terrifying things. And Jesus is saying, don't be worried. Um, maybe there's been wars. We've all been through wars and in terms of... Some of us have been up close in front of the wars. Um, but there have been many wars in, in all of our lifetimes. And Jesus is saying, these things are going to happen. Pestilences. Has anyone been through a pestilence? I suppose COVID-19 is a pestilence, isn't it? And, and Jesus is saying, these things are going to happen. I think the Christian approach to a pestilence or you know, plague, it's a you know, big word for that, um, is don't be afraid. Sure, take it seriously. We react out of love for people, but not out of fear. I think the Christian approach should never be out of fear. It's out of love for people and concern for helping and protecting other people, but, but don't be afraid. These things are going to happen. There'll be many things. Jesus prepares his disciples for uncertain times. Watch and don't be afraid. He also prepares his followers for hard days. 
Um, and he tells them, don't make up your mind, not even to worry. Look, look at verse 12 onwards. He says, but before all this, they'll seize you and persecute you. And they'll hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison. And you'll be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. That's the, the icing on the cake. You'll actually be called up to really high and important people. And you'll be able to bear testimony to Jesus. There will be opposition. It's interesting, it's almost that's the story of the book of Acts. It's exactly what Jesus told them, it's exactly what happens in Luke part 2. In the second part of what Luke writes, almost the, the first few chapters, they do get pulled up to synagogues. The next bits, they do get called into kings, and by the end, they're going to governors and, uh, and authorities. And the Apostle Paul is waiting to even see uh, the, the emperor himself. But Jesus says, verse 14, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you defend yourself. That's an interesting command. He doesn't say, don't worry about it. He says, right now, make up your mind now not to be worried about it then. <laughs> it's like a double concern for not being worried. Don't worry now and make a determination not even to be worried then about what you're going to say. How are you going to defend yourself? You're going to bear testimony to me, Jesus says. And they might think, we need to have the most amazing testimony planned. He says, don't even worry about it now. In fact, make up your mind now not to worry about, not, not to worry beforehand about how you defend yourself. What's the reason? Verse 15. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. If you look at the other gospel accounts, it says the Holy Spirit will give you words. And here it's beautiful. That's true, the Holy Spirit will give us words, but when the Holy Spirit gives us words, it's the Spirit of Jesus. Jesus himself will give us words to speak when we testify before people. It, what a wonderful thing that Jesus, who says, surely I am with you to the end of the age, will actually enable us to speak the words we need to say. Make up your mind not to worry. And this played out in the book of Acts. You can see Stephen, who was called up before synagogues, the Spirit of God gave him, the, Jesus gave him the words to, se- to tell the whole story of the Bible <laughs> as his defense. The Apostle Peter gave his defense. Paul, when he gave his d- defense in front of uh, those, he just told his story of how he became a Christian. It's an interesting defense, isn't it? He just rec- recounted how it is that he met the risen Lord Jesus and how he was basically, he was lost and was now found. And how he was called by God to preach the gospel to all nations. You see, we can see it in the book of Acts. We can see it again in people's lives. God will give us the words that we say. Don't worry about it. So many times Jesus is saying, don't be concerned, don't worry. Plan, but don't panic. Like, um, you know when you do the first aid kit? Not first aid kit, you do the first aid training. One of the things that you're taught is, on that day, don't panic, don't worry. And uh, he's saying, don't worry. But it's the opposite of that, because for the first aid training, you're saying, have so prepared (laughs) that on that day, don't panic. But Jesus is saying, no, don't don't panic, because on that day, you'll be okay. I'll be with you, and I'll give you those words to say. Verse 16 might be a bit more close to home. You'll be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. 
Jesus is saying the, t- the temple, which was their fa- what, the, the foundations of their world, their religious world, that's going to be shaken. But he said your family life might be shaken too. Someone actually told me this week that they found those verses encouraging. <laughs> what, kind of, what kind of sick person would find those verses encouraging? No, it is encouraging because there's an expectation of suffering. And so when it does happen, it's there in the Bible. Jesus warned us about it. I know people, um, I know quite a few people who as children were forbidden by their parents to go to church. I'm sure you know people like that. There's people from this church even who've told me that they were forbidden as children to go to church and they didn't get to go to church as children. And they had to trust God and read the Bible by themselves and others were forbidden to have a Bible. There are people here who probably have the pain of children who, who, who just don't give you the time of day and, and partly it's your Christian faith. There'll be people here I know who are brothers and sisters who will just not treat them properly or some people as adults find it hard with their parents there's a lot of pain caused and sometimes it's because complicated issues but but because of christ and um even some within families there'll be hostility He, he tells them that some of their some of them will die for their faith isn't it interesting that jesus says one sentence and some of you will be put to death and then the next Two sentences later, he says, but not a hair of your head will perish. How does that fit together? Actually, he says, stand firm and you'll win life. I think it fits together beautifully. Even if you die, not a hair on your head will perish eternally. You see, um, this is encouraging because um, Jesus is preparing his followers for hard days to come. The, um, I know that uh, yeah, sometimes there's different, there's different approaches to, to preparing people for things. Um, I remember someone who used to do a classic marriage preparation and he used to tell um, people, all, these are all the things that can go wrong in your marriage. <laughs> and, um, and in a sense, what they were doing was, even if those things don't all go wrong, it actually prepares people, just be, be aware, there are things that can be really hard. And Jesus is doing that here. But what about if, if we haven't had these things happen to us? Well, I think the answer is praise God. Thank God for that. And be prepared to help those around that do go through that. Because there actually are people in our midst. I, I know of um, people whose parents have really pushed them away for their Christian faith. You know what that means the church needs to do? Be parent figures for those people. Step up a bit. And so I think we need to be take this in mind. And this... I know we're not facing death in this country. I know we're not worried about those things, but we're facing, there's still some people do face difficulties. Sometimes it's cultural families. Sometimes it's actually the very, ang- very Anglo families that just think, I don't want my kids taking Jesus seriously. Well, Jesus calls us and prepares us for the future. But he also prepares his followers for the, the fall of the city of Jerusalem. And he's, this is the big point he's making, and he gives a simple advice, get out. Jesus is saying Jerusalem will fall, but the end of Jerusalem is not the end of the world, and it's not the hill to die on. And Jesus told his disciples, when you see it, don't worry about the uprising, don't worry about the leaderships, um, don't worry about standing up the Romans. Verse 20, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. 
Then those who are in Judea, let them flee to the mountains. Those in the city, get out. Those in the country, do not enter that city. For it's, this is the time of the punishment and fulfillment of all that's written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And, and from ancient historians, one of them gives 500,000 people killed in that siege. One of them gives a million. Now those numbers might be too big, but it was a huge number of people who were killed in that time, 70 AD. And the early Christians who gathered in Jerusalem and worshipped God and met together, when they saw just the hint of this happening, <clears throat> they heard the words of Jesus. And they left. You know how um, Abraham was called to leave his, his, his land of Ur of the Chaldeans and go to the promised land? God's people were called to leave the promised land and get out. In fact, and go into all nations and make disciples. And they had to trust Jesus' words. Jesus is very kind to his disciples in preparing them for a future without their symbolic center. Jesus is very kind to them to, to ask them to trust him and to leave, which they did en masse and they survived. Jesus is very kind in preparing them for a reminder of the taste of God's judgment. The Bible says again and again, it is, judgment begins with the household of God. And so it was fitting for God, to, in a sense, to, to, to remind us that we're all going to face God's judgment. And so we need to be, 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 be fleeing from it. But it's really a climax, the discussion he has with the disciples about the stones in the temple. He says, you're going to see this time. I think that's what he means when it says, like, it's like a fig tree. You see, you see the buds gathering and it's, it's about to happen. So be ready. Well, Jesus prepares his followers for God pulling up the stumps. Last point. Don't have a heavy heart. Watch and pray. He, he says, I think talking about the future now, uh, there'll be signs in the sun, the moon and stars on earth. Nations will be in anguish, perplexity at the roaring and the tossing of the sea. People will faint in terror and apprehensive of what's coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Some people see this as still talking about the fall of Jerusalem in, in, in big poetic language. I'm not so sure. I think it's probably more likely the end of the world, but I could be persuaded particularly because of verse 27 where he says, At that time they'll see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Here's the final thing we should be ready for and not afraid about. While other people assume the fetal position and have their heads down, he's saying that Christian people, should, when, when Christ returns, should not be in the fetal position but should stand up and have our heads lifted up. We're actually called to have be confident. Does anyone know what the most common command in the entire Bible is from God to people? Most common command, what is it? Do not be afraid. It outstrips every, any other command. It said more times, do not be afraid. And it's usually when God meets someone or someone meets an angel or someone meets Christ. Do not be afraid. And I think God will say that to his people. I think we will be tempted to be in the fetal position. And we'll be tempted to have our heads down low. And God will say, do not be afraid. And will call us to have confidence and stand up on our feet and lift up our heads. Because our salvation is drawing near. Our redemption is drawing near. Um, faith, I don't think, is the absence of fear. But it's knowing who to run with when you're afraid. 
And Jesus gives us a general advice at the end. He says, be on your guard that your minds aren't dulled from carousing, drunkenness and the worries of life. Verse 34, or that day will come on you unexpected like a trap. For it will come on all who live on the face of the whole earth. But be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and stand before the Son of Man. Be alert and praying. It's like praying and have your eyes open, spiritually, so to speak. Give you the strength to enjoy hard things. It's a good prayer that God will give you the strength to endure. Um, Marg shared beautifully last week, and one of the things in her description was that she prayed, she showed us that she prayed that God would keep her a believing woman through a hardship. And I think that's a prayer that we should have in hardship. We should pray. If we do face, even if we face the fear of an earthquake, God, help me to be a believer through this. Or a war, a rumor of war, an uprising. Help me to be strong through this crisis. Or if we have someone in our family who just treats us abysmally, for no other reason, the fact that we're a Christian and we want to put Jesus first, then, then we need to be praying, God, give me the strength to get through this. And perhaps we can actually do that for other people, to be asking God, praying and seeking the strength to, es- to, to escape all these things and so that we can stand before the Son of Man. But the exact opposite of this praying and being alert is, is having a dulled mind, literally a, a heavy heart, a deadened spirit. And that is being drink, deadened by drunkenness and carousing and the worries of this life. What does what the word carousing mean? I mean, I don't use the word carousing very much. Um, I looked up what it means in the original, and it just means extreme drunkenness. And just maybe it wouldn't be so good to have in the text, um, you know, be on your guard, your minds that be dulled by extreme drunkenness, regular drunkenness. And the worries of this life. Why does he pick those things? Because what, what do people do when they go through hard times? They medicate with, with, with alcohol. And it's, it's saying if, if you're facing these things, you don't need to lighten your spirits, medicate yourself with, with drunkenness or extreme drunkenness. And the worries of this life is what, what's going to dull our minds. And weigh us down. Because Jesus actually, the whole way through, he says, don't worry, don't be afraid, don't worry, don't worry. And he's calling us to lift ourselves out of that worry. And one activity he's called us to do is to pray. And so I think, here's a question, whatever you're doing, is it something that will help me to keep praying? Prayer is a barometer of the, of the soul. Is the pressure of the world greater than the pressure of the spirit? It's what's stopping us praying and being ready. Well, be prepared. Next week, we'll see how Jesus prepares his disciples for his death and resurrection. This week, we see how he prepares them for afterwards. He prepared those who would be tempted to follow others. He prepared those who were tempted to give it all up when a natural disaster hit. He prepared those who attempted to, to be shaken when the center of their religious universe, Jerusalem temple, was no more. He would prepare those who, who might have been worried about the things that would happen in, in, in the heavens before Christ came. Prepared those who were copying a lot in their families. And he actually calls them not to worry, not to worry, not to worry. And even when Christ returns, not to worry. And I know when Christ returns, God will say to us the equivalent of do not be afraid because we will be afraid. But we're called not even to worry about him. Jesus' preparation here is actually a big call, a drumbeat throughout history for God's people to not 
worry and be prepared not to worry about the things that will come to us. I think we should take comfort from other people's comfort. You know, we see other people being comforted by God. Take comfort from their comfort. Learn from them. Learn the way that your other brothers and sisters have got through hard times. I think we should also take comfort that Jesus warned us about it. Like, like my friend who said these passages were encouraging. Jesus warned us these things will happen. So when it happens, it's okay. And take comfort that our redemption is near. Part of our worry, we shouldn't worry too much about the things that might happen to us. But we should focus more on the one who might, will save us. Come on and pray. Father God, thank you so much that Jesus does not leave us in the dark. He doesn't tell us exactly the details of what we're going to happen in our lives. But he paints a picture of history and what would happen after he, uh, after he rose again and before he comes back. That there will be hard things, Lord. And we know that some of us have been through some hard things now. And the history of your church is a history of people who've endured all things for Christ's sake. We know that Jesus didn't promise us in this world would have the spiritual equivalent of rainbows and unicorns. But he promised us that there'll be hardship. And, but we pray that we wouldn't be weighed down by this, but actually lift up our heads and stand up confident in the Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.